And it looks like we are up. Yes. Okay. Um, let me double check over on Facebook that things are, are happening there, but I think we should be in good shape. Oh, here's some cat gifts. I'm going to stare at those for a minute. Okay. All right. We should be good. All right. Uh, welcome, Sarah. Well, thank you for having me, Sigler. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for taking part in the uh, unconference. You know, it's the first uh, unconference I've ever been a part of, and I just love it. <laughs> for everybody, but you know, other than that, it's a good day. Well, I'm honored to uh, help share your first unconference with you. And, and fortunately, you can do it right at home with uh, Jane and Mr. Rogers and your gnome. Uh, yes, I do have tiny veins and my uh, Mr. Fred Rogers candle. And this is my uh, go, you know, screw yourself gnome. So. <laughs> uh, well, let me do a brief introduction. Um, Sarah uh, and I had the pleasure of getting to know each other over the past year, uh, kind of bumping into each other online and then had a, a chance to share many of uh, a drink down in, uh, or sorry, down uh, outside of Austin, uh, Georgetown. Okay. I knew, I knew I was getting there. I had to work through it. Uh, down in Georgetown this past fall. And um, Sarah it is- Texas Downtown Association Conference. Yes, yes. Uh, with the Texas Downtown Association Annual Conference, which is a phenomenal conference. And I enjoyed Georgetown and TDA very much. Uh, Sarah is a board member and heads up the um, legislative committee. I do. Yes. Now that I don't work on the uh, dark side, the local government side, I can um, give the legislators help from the private side. So having fun with that. Uh, twice, uh, two-time past president of, of Texas Downtown Association as well, and leads up a uh, firm called the uh, Collaborative Design Collective or the CDC. That's correct. We are the other CDC. It's collaborative development. I'm <sighs> that's the personal interior design aficionado. I'm not, you know, streetscape and urban firm, but I do know a little bit about planning. But yeah, we're the other CDC. We're you know the carrier community service. <laughs> oh, you like it? I do. I do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Sarah, it has uh, been a pleasure to, to get to know you and watch your work and see what you do with uh, CDC. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, and then when you start to wrap up, I'll, I'll uh, have some questions for you. Perfect. Well, thank you guys very much. Welcome to the Three Day Bender. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? So I heard that today was craft beer day. Um, so I have my Adalbert's Brewery, which is in Austin, Texas. This is a sour beer. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but Texas is actually beating everybody else in the country. Um, we are number one in alcohol consumption during quarantine. <laughs> and I think one in five of us is actually drinking from home while working. So hopefully you guys are all um, enjoying a cocktail today. Um, at the sake of being Captain Obvious, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, we all know that the COVID-19 pandemic, well, maybe I should share my screen. That would be helpful. Hold on, let me do that first. I knew I could get something. Okay. Um, can you see my slides, everybody? Perfect. Very good. Okay. We know that COVID-19 is here. Um, a lot of us haven't had a lot of answers. We've had more questions. We've been struggling, I think, with decisions about our personal lives, our businesses, our downtowns, our communities. Um, what comes next? What shouldn't come next? Am I right? Yeah. Um, anyways, I ask myself those questions all the time, and that's just in my personal life. When I look at the towns and communities and the places that I love, and when I think about those towns and communities that I just haven't had the chance to fall in love with yet, it gets even scarier. Um, tighter budgets, 
fewer resources, dwindling capacity are just really the tip of the iceberg when we talk about the challenges that our communities face. Um, our main streets, our downtowns, we're facing those challenges before COVID. And so the new reality that we haven't yet defined is complicated. <laughs> Um, but I remain hopeful that we can imagine and we can creatively conspire to achieve some really cool things. But this middle place that we're in now, not the old, not quite to the new, it's messy, it's not black and white, it's complicated, it's gray and sticky and muddy. And while I operate better in the mud than most, I'm smart enough to know not to jump straight into battle with the reigning champion, um, you know, jumping in blindly and facing the enemy that's been kicking our community's tails, our downtowns everything for decades. That big, ugly elephant in the room. Um, Main Street organizations and small businesses that dotted along historic commercial corridors, the local governments, the economic development organizations, chambers, DMOs, um, and the leaders who are at the helm of those places, those businesses, those communities are facing the most significant challenges of our generation. Our enemy is a beast. He's the reigning world champion of champions and it's not COVID-19. Um, I'll get back to the elephant in the room later, but I just can't stop talking about his honoring ass for just a minute. Um, I've been speaking about this elephant in the room for several months, way before COVID. Um, and he's created just a, a host of problems. Um, I know Jeff talks a lot about apathy. We have density challenges. We have um, an economic crisis, a housing crisis, um, and so many different things that we are struggling with every day. And the struggle is really, really real, y'all. Um, that's my struggle bus. <laughs> I stay on it all the time. I know you guys are there some days as well. So what we're here to talk about today is how do we embrace the unknown with the understanding and action amidst all this uncertainty? How do we get ourselves, our businesses, our downtowns, our favorite places, our neighborhoods off the metaphorical and sometimes physical struggle bus and into the winner's ring? That's why, wait, how many people are, are logged in, Jeff? Let me look at my iPad. I can't tell, but that's why y'all are here today. Um, so I wanna start at the beginning of the conversation. I think that a lot of times we fail to start at the beginning. We get so wrapped up in the right now, we don't fully understand how we got there, especially when we're having conversations with audiences. Um, they think that we're talking about what we're talking about right now and really our right now is just a tiny minuscule part of our journey, um, our epically grand journey. And so I think we gotta start at the beginning and words matter greatly. Um, the beginning of any conversation should be able to, should be to make sure we're all talking about the same words and the same things. In community development, we screw this up all the time. We have more acronyms um, than we do understanding most days. So embrace unknown, understanding, action, uncertainty. Most of my friends that may be on here watching know that I'm probably going to pull out the dictionary and throw up some slides on my slide deck with the Merriam-Webster definition of those words because I always start there. And they're half right. Um, I'm going to define some words and we're going to talk about what they mean in context to our current middle reality or nightmare, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I have a confession to make because those words aren't the ones we're going to talk about today. Embrace, unknown, understanding, action, and uncertainty. Those are just a piece of the puzzle, a part of the journey and a piece of the conversation. I know enough about marketing and the human psyche to know how to clear out a room um, I sometimes have some work to do about how to pack a room. I guess we'll see how many people log in, um, but I digress. So in order to define the big, ugly, complicated words, the giant elephant in the room, and you need to hear, 
I chose these words um, to get you in the room today or the virtual room today. Um, the, these are important and meaningful and sometimes scary words. Um, the words in the title slide that you see right now, these are more normal, more socially acceptable, easier to digest words um, for today's session. Uh, but they're both connected in great ways. My grandpa always says that we all need each other. That's how he signed every letter he ever wrote to me. And I think that words um, and connectivity are the same way. They need each other. Um, sometimes we have two different meanings to things. There's two sides to every story, opposing viewpoints, the yin to the yang, adjoining, got polar opposites that are able to find a connection. We have multifaceted dimensions in our communities. Complicated, it's muddy. Telling you guys, nothing is ever easy when you're blonde and Irish like me. Um, it's complicated, it's messy, but at the end of the day, I also believe it's really beautiful. Connection. We crave it. We're afraid of not having it. We will sacrifice a lot for it, as uh, has been demonstrated the last two months. But, you know, we also shun it. We think we have too much of it. Um, we want to disconnect from certain types of connection, don't we? Um, and so the words we're going to talk about today, I know you like it all is courage, fear, purpose, decisiveness, and uncomfortable. And we're gonna talk about them in relation to the words that we use in the title of this session. So don't worry, I didn't completely fool you, just a little marketing ploy. <laughs> Let's talk about courage and embrace. And I'm gonna start with the definition of each of these for you guys. But courage is the choice and willingness to confront agony and pain, danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. It's being afraid and doing it anyway. And embrace is the act of accepting or supporting something willingly or enthusiastically. So when we demonstrate courage, we typically, that means we have embraced that big elephant in the room of some sort. Um, we have to choose to embrace their tendencies to act courageous to our tendencies to act courageously in the face of the enemy that we see all the time and those that we don't see. Um, you guys will learn here shortly that I love quotes a lot and I use them um, every Monday, I do a Motivational Monday on my Facebook page, and I just think that there's a lot of really intelligent people that have said way smarter things than I ever will, um, and we need to uh, hear them again and over and over again. So uh, you'll see a lot of quotes in this, but we're going to start out with one by Nelson Mandela. Um, it's an oldie but a goodie, and I'm sure many of you guys have already heard it before, but it's that I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And so when I talk about the word that didn't lure you in here, not the embrace, but the courage, um, unless it was the day drinking that got you guys in here, probably some of you, yeah, it's okay. Be honest, no judgment, you can let us know in the comments section. Anyways, it's not always about the easy words. Um, and so we have to get to the difficult parts um, about our lives, our neighborhoods, our communities, our downtowns, and our cities. Um, and until we do that, you're never going to learn how to ride that elephant out of downtown. You know, my dad is right a lot. He, um, I found myself repeating his sayings more than I would like to admit. And one of them is to eat the elephant one bite at a time. So um, we have to remember that, that we have to know how to eat before we get there. So there's two types of courage, generally speaking. Physical courage, which is overcoming the fear of bodily injury or harm. Um, and then... There is moral courage, which that's a crap term, in my opinion. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. There is a lot of professionals and scientific data geeks and people all over LinkedIn and the internet that talk about moral courage. Um, 
but that's an antiquated term. First of all, we need to change and update our dictionary and definition. Um, and morality is also a relative term. Words matter, again. Um, and morality is being concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of character. Um, and morality is a principle of right and wrong. Your right and my wrong are completely different, I promise you. I have enough good sense to know that we all have friends right now that are judging y'all for drinking right now at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, you know, and we may even have acquaintances. I'm not saying they're good friends that are judging us when we drink after five o'clock. So what I'm saying is, is that more courage is, is a stupid term. I like to use um, emotional courage. I think that that has more meaning. And thankfully, I'm not the only one. I didn't come up with that. There are no new good ideas. Um, there's a lot of really intelligent people that talk about emotional courage. And so I wish we could strike moral courage from the dictionary, but we're not there yet, I guess. Because courage is ultimately a choice. It's not relative. It's based on one's own emotion. Um, and so it can't be relative to you because it's my emotions and they are what they are, whether you agree with them or not. Um, we use our experiences, our mindsets, our environments, our goals, our current existing conditions and environments um, to decide whether we're going to utilize our courage or not. Um, it's more about doing the right thing, whether anyone is looking or not, emotional courage. Um, it's knowing you won't personally benefit, but you have to do it anyway. It requires trust or faith in yourself and the situation at hand and the unknown future, the possibilities that you're able to imagine. You choose to use courage, trusting in yourself and in that decision that everything will be all right or it won't, but you'll still be all right. Um, I kind of think moral courage, at least in Texas, is wearing our masks inside the store when others don't. Um, and I don't want any arguing in the comments about whether y'all wanna wear masks or not. This is not the place for that. You know, one of those really smart people I was talking about is a, um, and my slides are out of order, so that's okay. Well, this is even a better slide. So I'm gonna tell you guys um, a little bit more about courage and emotional courage and how it connects to embrace because they're not independent of each other. Um, they need one another because courage is a choice. You have to choose to embrace that. Um, but you can also do those things independently. So when you refuse to embrace your courage, what does that mean? It means you're choosing not to use it. Um, it's still there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, correct? Um, it doesn't mean that it's not being utilized. It just means that we aren't choosing to use it. We're not choosing to embrace that. But we can also embrace other things. We can um, embrace the opposite of courage, which is cowardness, right? We can embrace the status quo. And so I love, I don't know if y'all have ever read To Kill a Mockingbird, Shirley, but it's another really good quote. And so here is the really smart woman I wanted to tell you guys about. Susan Davis has some great TED Talks. So look at, um, I think the name of it is Emotional Courage, The Gift and Power of Emotional Courage. Look that up. But she says, courage is fear walking. And I've never heard a better explanation um, and just that one simple, sweet one-liner about courage. So before we get on to the next, we're gonna ask you guys some questions. Who's felt afraid in the future? Y'all say yes. See, I can see some of y'all on here, huh? Cheers, pick up your drink. Um, no, I can't see if you guys are just shaking your head. Just like, I don't know if you have pants on or not. So you guys have to actually state in the comments whether you've been afraid or not. It takes a little bit of courage, but I'd like to see y'all do that, okay. It's an unconference, remember, so it doesn't matter if you don't have pants on. 
nobody else my pants too. Anyways, so we've all been afraid. Um, you know, I know I have. Um, I felt uneasy, unsure, a little fearful, but we're all still here, right? You, me, all of us, the others. Um, wait, how many of there are you guys? Oh, there's a lot. 97, I like it. Um, so let's talk about being afraid of the current reality. Why are we scared? Because we don't know. Um, we're scared of the unknown. Just like we talked about, we're scared of the fear, uh, of the things that we do not understand. So unknown is obviously something that is not within the range of one's own understanding or knowing. Um, it hasn't been in our experience. And then of course, you know, fear is an unpleasant feeling that's been triggered by the perception of danger, real or imagined. Um, there's several universal triggers for fear, but bodily harm is one um, and the unknown is another. And so we're gonna talk a little bit more about fear. And I know I've already mentioned several things, so we'll do this a little quicker, but it's our body's natural reaction to danger, fear. It's a human emotion, scientific physiological emotion um, that is triggered by our basic primal instincts to survive. It's meant to protect us from harm. It's intended to keep us safe. Now, I know that fear mongering and living in you know, constant fear isn't natural and it's not a good thing, but a certain amount of fear is, um, it's natural and it can be productive for us as human beings. Um, we should be afraid of COVID-19. Um, we should all be afraid of what happens next because we don't know what's going to happen next in so many scenarios. We don't know what businesses we will lose if one of our loved ones would get sick, um, but we have to be courageous enough to accept those fears as our current reality and adapt and pivot, and I don't know who started using the term pivot, but I like it, um, and embrace the unknown. We have to put that courage to work on our fears. Um, and so what happens if we are afraid of COVID-19, but we, we get frozen? We don't have the courage yet to embrace our fears and change our behaviors. We stand still. Um, I know that there was a lot of that standing still um, that happened the first few weeks of this, I think the whole country sort of stood still. We were trying to gather more information so we'd understand and have more knowledge about the unknown and what comes next. Um, and there's another thing that we do when we have fear. We can you know, choose to embrace the fear and demonstrate our courage. We stand still and that happens to a lot of us but we all eventually move one way or the other. And so we move to embrace the fear. And the other thing that we do I try not to do, I mean, we're all guilty of it, I suppose, is to completely ignore the fear. Um, and that's not a good thing, I don't believe, um, because the fear is meant to protect us. And so if we ignore the fear and keep moving like we were, we're putting ourselves and sometimes others in harm's way. Um, and so it's complicated, it gets messy, right? I told you guys that. Um, but when we decide not to embrace the courage and we decide that the fear isn't real, even though it may be, um, we've chosen to do nothing, to keep on going as we were, um, chosen to remain the same. We in essence have failed to make a decision whatsoever. And there's so many people in this country that have done that. Um, and I think that that's a bad thing because, you know, that's like the squirrel in the middle of the road. The dead squirrel, you know, the dead squirrel failed to make a decision. He just stood there and he got run over. I don't know about y'all, but my mom is actually talking to wildlife right now on squirrels. She has, um, oh, my presenter's side just went up. 
she has clearly been in a quarantine for too long. I'm kind of getting a little bit afraid of her. Um, but anyways, I'll get off the squirrels. We can't be like them. We have to act and we have to be decisive. Um, doesn't mean we need to be dangerous or make uncalculated um, decisions. We need to be thoughtful um, and educated and make sure we have access to the resources that we need to make informed decisions. But when we just ignore the fear and keep on going like nothing's ever changed, we remain stuck, um, stuck in a past that is no longer relevant. Um, we believe so much so that that fear isn't real, um, that we don't ever discover anything different. We fail to imagine the possibilities. You become apathetic to all. We know how we feel about apathy, right? We don't like it. Um, I think we're all ready in this group to kick its tail. But in order to do that, we have to be courageous enough to accept that there's something wrong. And so many of us won't do that. So many of our city leaders, our communities, our neighbors, our business owners, um, they think that everything's just fine. And so we have to be willing to embrace the unknown as part of our future, to do the pivot, um, to change, and to embrace the fear regardless. We have to be ready to walk. We have to be fear walking. Um, and that leads us to something unfamiliar, the unknown, places we may or may not have imagined. I have a vivid imagination. I like color, as you guys can see. Um, but we have to imagine a different future, and some of it will be bad, and some of it will be good. But it's all part of our journey, right? Um, and that decisiveness that we're going to talk about in action. Some of you guys may not think decisive is a negative word. Why did I cover that one up? Um, but it's actually got Latin roots and I took Latin one year in high school. I don't recommend it, but it's important in a lot of the work that I do. The Latin root of the word decision, cis or sid, means to cut or kill. That's a negative connotation, right? Um, but we live in a world of abundance. We have to make choices. Um, we have endless opportunities and endless decisions. I was on a Zoom call with some friends yesterday and it started off by one of them saying she was sick of making decisions. She just didn't want to have to think anymore. She wanted someone to make that decision for her because we're faced with decisions all day long. Um, and so to be effective um, in our ability to take action, we have to be able to make decisions. We have to cut or kill. Um, and so I think that is powerful because if you don't act, like we talked about earlier, and you stay um, in your current because you won't embrace the fear and that anything is wrong, you're failing to make a decision. Um, you're failing to cut or kill. And so we think about time, our resources. Do we want craft beer during our happy hour? Cheers, I'll take a drink. Or do we want our usual cocktails? Do we go on vacation now or do we go to the beach? Just kidding, don't go to the beach, not a good time. Um, but we're faced daily with hundreds and thousands of decisions. I'm sure there's data out there somewhere that tells us exactly how many. But those decisions lead us to outcomes, to impacts. So there's either winners or losers sometimes. Um, sometimes you're the one who determines who's winning and where the finish line is at. And sometimes you don't get to have that liberty of making that decision. Um, and we all hate losing, right? You know, most people do, but I don't see why. We'll talk about that in a minute. Avoidance um, is the way that we cope with decision-making um, and the, when we don't want to cut or kill because we want to have our cake and eat it too, right? So sometimes we just avoid making the decision out of all. And normally that's because of fear. We, we fear we're going to lose something, so we don't want to decide. Um, 
we don't want to be the one who determines the winners and hands out the medals. And we're unwilling to give something up, whatever that something is in our communities, our parking spaces, um, you know, our Amazon convenience deliveries, even though I'm not a fan of Jeff Bezos, that's a hard thing to give up. Um, and so the refusal of failure or the refusal of failure to make a decision in one's lives, I believe is our biggest mistake when we avoid that because sometimes then the decisions get made for us and the power of choice is gone. Um, in fact, it's some of life's biggest mistakes and you can do your research, but it's why humans fail at things. It's why businesses fail. It's why mom and pops um, don't survive is because they're not able to make a quick decision. You guys know that those small businesses that have been able to show innovation and react and adapt quickly um, to this pandemic are, are already showing bigger successes. And we have some stories that have not yet been able to do that. They have um, been stuck in that frozen time or even worse, some of them decided to just keep going like nothing ever happened as soon as the government told them they could open back up. And so we have to try to not let ourselves get hurt that way and to not hurt our communities um, that way by avoiding decisions. And I can't tell you how many elected officials um, avoid decisions a lot and they bat it down the line. And we kick the can down the road and that's left this country with a huge infrastructure um, challenge and the lists go on and on because decisiveness fuels our life. It moves our needle one way or the other, not always good, not always bad. Um, and even when we won't decide, the needle moves for us. And I know that sounds complex, it's a kind of paradigm. And so we have to be able to make decisions because if the needle is moving for us, we can't help direct it in the positive or the negative direction. Um, and why do we procrastinate? Why do we avoid decision-making? Control, we're controlling our fears. Um, we control the right now. We want to make sure that the unknown doesn't come to us, that we don't wanna change. Things weren't that bad before COVID, right? So, so why would we change the way we behave and the way we uh, park and shop and eat and all of those things? Um, but choosing the wrong path doesn't or choosing that wrong path doesn't make your future any more secure, makes it less um, because the decision is going to be made for you, as I said before. And I think that's scary, but unfortunately, the scariest part of all of this is a lot of times what happens when we do make decisions. Because when we do make decisions, there's a lot that comes with it. We trust ourselves enough um, to make decisions based on the information in front of us. We trust our enough, ourselves enough to make decisions for our communities, our downtowns. And then what happens? Judgment, ridicule, mockery, shame, guilt. We're called out and we get run over like a squirrel, I guess, because we don't make a decision quick enough. Um, and how many of us have done that this week or today? How many of us have determined that so-and-so deciding to open then was harmful or why aren't they requiring a mask or why aren't they wearing a mask or why were you even in quarantine at all? It's just not that big of a deal. So every decision everyone makes is judged by someone on some other end of the spectrum. And oftentimes it is the most courageous um, to deal with those outcomes. And that's why we have to have courage to, to make decisions and to embrace that fear because once we get over the, the hurdle that that decision presents, there's more fear. And that's the fear of what others will think. That's the judgment that we talked about. And we all do it, it's human nature. Um, psychologists, for which I am not one, generally say that for people to make decisions, 
something has to hurt more in their current realities than it will hurt to change it. It's all about pain, comfort level. Where's quick to slap that mosquito off our leg when he bites, right? Just get him away. It doesn't have to, that's an instinct. We don't even have to think about that. Um, and when he's not biting us, we remember what it feels like until so we put the off on, right? Because we know there'll come a time when he'll bite us again. Um, we know we don't want to feel that pain. And so we are capable of understanding what comes next, which is the pain, and we prevent it. We take action. And it's that understanding and that purpose that we're going to talk about real quick. The, the definition of purpose and understanding is showing comprehension of a subject. Um, that, that means we understand it. And so it's also, and I found this interesting, it talks about understanding is also being compassionate or sympathetic for another person, what we call empathy, which I think is one of our most underrated behaviors in this country. We need more empathy. And purpose is the reason for which something is done or created. It's why something exists. And, you know, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, I'm sure. I think I heard Catherine's um, session talking about it earlier today. Um, you know, and so I'll just put up several of his quotes here because I couldn't decide, but how do we make decisions when we can't predict the future? How do we know wrong from right? And how do we decide what the finish line is? Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? We can't always, let me just first tell you that, but we can um, make sure that we're decisive um, and that whether we win or lose, we're moving the needle ourselves and not having it move for us. And so I know that what's right for you isn't right for me. But when we understand what we believe in and we know what we're passionate about and what our purpose is, when it makes it easier for us to make decisions, uh, it makes it easier for us to make decisions that may harm us, um, decisions that are uncomfortable, um, decisions that put people in a losing place. It's, it's complicated, but it's just so good. I love all this stuff. So. When we understand what we can about dangers that lie ahead of us, it gives us the capability to assign value. And when you know your cause and you understand the goal line, your purpose, why you're there, why you're doing it, or why this danger exists, you know your why. And that gives you the courage to understand what to do next, because you can assign the value of that decision in alignment with your beliefs. Um, but the first thing we have to do is find our purpose. Has anybody done that? I, I did it last year. Um, and, you know, I know my firm's purpose and why I'm here. And I, I think it's important. And I'm not here to tell you how to do that and that you need to add it to your website, even though we probably do. But when your purpose is more than just data and numbers, it makes the decisions that we face even more complicated. So, this is really powerful, I think, and I'm not going to read it word for word for you guys, but purpose, it, just like everything I've talked about today, is complicated and money, and it's all connected. And if we understand our why, and we use that purpose as our compass, whether, you know, our compass of values, I'm not going to say moral, but I'm sure some of y'all are thinking that, um, the decisions that we think have no answers become clearer to us innately. Um, it doesn't mean they're not scary, but it's worth the risk, it's worth the value um, to take it, to take the risk and to go that direction. So when we understand the values and we understand our purpose and we move towards them, what is yet to come may still be scary, but we also understand that it may be more beautiful than we ever, ever imagined. 
And so those of us without purpose that are just using data and numbers, that's a really finite. I know Simon Sinek talks about finite and infinite all the time, but and so I just want to stick on the data for just a second because data and relevancy is, yeah, I love governments using all this data and technology during the pandemic. It's been great, but we, as much as I love data, I think we use it a lot in a vacuum, armed um, that it's our purpose and it's our values and we have to go with the numbers. And we use that to make decisions a lot of times. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the times this can end up being harmful um, and not, you know, like I said, every decision has a wrong or right, depending on who you are. But when we don't know the why and then we don't understand our purpose and we're just looking at data, solely at hotel occupancy revenue numbers or at, you know, sales tax collection, it's finite. It really is. And so if we're going to base our next programming move that we do um, in our funding downtown, because, well, if we do this, we're going to increase sales tax by X, Amazon. Target bring in a ton of sales tax. That's really not the purpose and the decision-making mechanism that you guys should be using in your downtowns. And um, it's not the infinite mindset. It's not the long game. It's a it's a short-term win. And I think it's a poor strategy for this world, which we've used for our places, our communities, and the people who call them home for way too long. And um, it's that short-term understanding to go ahead and score um, to win. And I honestly don't think any of this is about winning or losing at all. It's about much more than this quarter or this game or my neighborhood or your downtown. It's about us, you and me and the people and residents and small businesses who make up those places because what good is a place without the people to enjoy it? Um, you know, Jeff Bezos makes decisions off data alone. You know who doesn't? Your moms, not my mom, your moms. It's my favorite uh, mom and pop restaurant in downtown Smithfield. Um, but they don't use just data to make their decisions. They um, understand their purpose and they value people and they make their decisions off that. And so it's complicated. It's complicated. So complicated. It's uncomfortable. I'm sure probably we don't have near as many people watching because I'm not talking about the fun stuff right now, but the uncertainty is, is discomfort. Um, discomfort is when we're uncomfortable, things don't feel good, it's painful, um, we're uneasy. And then uncertainty is, you know, when we don't know what's to come, but we, it may be uncomfortable, you know, and we feel uncomfortable in times of uncertainty. That's for sure. I know I have. Um, I'm not going to talk about vulnerability because that's Brene Brown and she gets that out of the park. I can't compare, but I tell boards that I work with all the time. Every time I go in there and I was working on some slides for a session I'm doing later this week that, you know, we're going to be uncomfortable. Great things never come from comfort zones. Um, my friend Sugar Shane Sorensen gave me this one. We're not here to comfort the afflicted. We are here to afflict the comforted. Because we've all been way too comfortable for way too long. Um, and so if you weren't uncomfortable yet in the session, you can go ahead and sign out now. I apologize. We're about to get a little bit more uncomfortable because um, it's against our human nature to want to be uncomfortable, to want change. We like routines, predictability, plans, order. We like certainty. We like comfort, not pain. And I know we know the old adage um, that pain means growth. Um, which do you want, the pain of staying where you are or the pain of uh, growth? And a lot of people choose to stay where they are. So we're comfortable with plans, with certainty, but without them, we're not really that comfortable, right? So were we really comfortable before? Why do we want to get back to normal so quickly? Why do any of us really want to plan? 
I have the Herb Kelleher sign. I'm going to at the Main Street Conference in Baltimore many years ago. We have a strategic plan. It's called doing things. Um, how's y'all's strategic plan working out for you? Anybody? Yeah. Um, are you where you thought you would be when you looked at it in February or January? Um, I don't know. You had courage to um, embrace the fear then. You were decisive in action in your plans. Um, but what now? Right? We, we've got to adjust those. And so that's why I think plans are, are really meaningless. Um, and so don't get offended, but it's okay if you are. Like I said, you're going to be uncomfortable, but strategic planning is dead and it has been. Um, Dana O'Donovan and Noah Flower in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, which is another good periodical to read, says 2013, I think, the world has become a more turbulent place and the traditional approach to strategic planning is dead um, based on assumptions that no longer hold. The static strategic plan is dead. Now, I'm not saying it's not meaningful, the process, but the plan is dead. Um, it's irrelevant as soon as we publish it, just like our downtown shopping guides and restaurant guides, because somebody's going to go out of business. And so none of our plans, and there may be one or two out there, I doubt it, that addressed a pandemic like this. And so the plans are relevant. It's not about our plan. It's about the journey, the process, the uncomfortable part of getting to the plan that's important. And so we can't stop planning. And I mean, I do that. Y'all can, and so I'm not, you know, trying to work myself out of a job, but strategic planning in itself is dead when we think about it in the context of just a plan. And so I believed all that prior to COVID-19. And I believe it obviously now more than ever. And for sure, if you guys had a plan before COVID and you're still looking at it, you, you need to have your head examined. You should throw the whole thing in the trash because most of everything that we did before March is irrelevant now. We live in a new world. And I don't think a lot of us have understood how to embrace that unknown fully um, and do radically different because it's not gonna work the same way that it and I'm not trying to fear monger you guys. I'm just um, trying to talk some truth and some reality. No one is going where they thought they were going to go. And in fact, none of us know where we should be going. But it's certainly not backwards, certainly not where we were. And it's okay to be uncertain. Um, plans have a beginning and an end. We have land use chapters and appendixes without hyperlinks. You know, all the outdated crap that we still put in plans that hasn't been relevant in a decade. Um, they're neat and orderly, just like planners um, want to be perceived, and they're manageable. I'm unmanageable. I make people uncomfortable, especially planners, because um, I use my imagination a lot. <laughs> and so we're in a pandemic, and we feel better, safer, more in control, more comfortable to have a recovery plan. But I mean, nobody's recovery plan is relevant, really, because we, you don't know what the numbers are going to be. It's one visit to your community and you know hospital capacity, there's so many variations. And so you can work towards recovery and that process of having those discussions and knowing the alternatives and where you can choose to go and what resources you have is critically important. But the plan itself, it's just our way to make humans feel better because we don't wanna be uncomfortable. We don't want our residents and our citizens. I've always been comfortable with uncertainty, daily life, in this field and in my profession. I've always thought, why do we sit here and waste all this time putting together this plan? Now I understand it's all about the process, but we get this document and it's worthless. And so um, I told you we're gonna get uncomfortable. And so I think we, in our daily lives, we need to get uncomfortable, dig into our purpose, forget about winning, embrace our fears, use our values and our purpose to help take us to the next level. Um, you've got to accept that you're gonna fail because we all will and leverage that acceptance um, and courage so we can move the needle ourselves and not have it move for us. 
Now, I told you guys at the beginning about the elephant in the room and the thing I was talking about, and I haven't gotten to him yet. So we're wrapping up, but I'm going to read you guys something and give you the, the answer that um, I think you're looking for, the issue that is plaguing communities. It's what plagued us beforehand, and it's what um, is going to continue to plague us until we do radically different. The giant monster in the room. And so in February, I'm going to read you guys verbatim um, a speech I gave at the banquet. It's very not the whole speech, don't worry, just um, just just a little bit. And to prove to you guys, it's the exact same issue. It was in February 2020. I believe that community development, city building, towns across this country, they are all in peril. They need to collaborate, um, and that need has never been greater. Dwindling capacity, shrinking resources, infrastructure deterioration, housing shortages, apathy inequality, and last but not least, the mean bullies on social media um, are big challenges. They're challenging times for rural communities, challenging times for large communities, dangerous times for those serving these places, and a frightening time for families across the country. We are in peril. To address some of those challenges, we've been reorganizing staff, enhancing capacity, cutting costs, increasing revenues, um, trying to grow our resource pools, issuing bonds, building new roads, building new water treatment plants, and building lots of suburban cookie cutters for all. We've hired chief storytellers and diversity and inclusion officers to tell a more meaningful story and create equity. There's a lot of work being done in cities, even um, here in your community, in this place. Leadership is working tirelessly to enhance your quality of life. Leaders across the country are moving mountains to make life better. For decades, we've been trying really hard to fix what's broken in our towns, restore prosperity, keep our children um, in their hometowns when they graduate from college. But you know what? Cities, chambers, EDCs, nonprofits, they've all been addressing the challenges facing their towns and the people they serve all wrong. This isn't a case of getting an A for effort, but because the problem with all the fixes, um, I gave you a couple examples and all the others, is that they're all concrete, literally and figuratively, concrete issues and fixes to concrete problems. We're putting band-aids on these concrete problems as quick as we can to stop the bleeding that is occurring in small communities, just like yours. But today we're gonna focus on the one challenge that universally affects each of us. It affects the work you do here or somewhere else, the community members for which you choose to be a part of. It affects all the organizations. And frankly speaking, it probably affects your interactions with every single person that you engage with in any way every day. And unfortunately, today's topic is rarely discussed in VMO boardrooms, and it's never mentioned in the Economic Development Director's President's report, and the city staff certainly aren't including it on their staff council reports. The newspapers don't really discuss it in their weekly community columns. Our city's comp plans and development standards do not dare address this elephant in the room, but it is talked about at fancy dinners, on front porches, in grocery stores, and along main streets all the time. I'm talking about the thing that happens, the thing that makes us think, and we've all thought it. I think it all the time. What in the hell is that person thinking and are they out of their mind? Because the one thing that local government, the downtown organizations, chambers, tourism bureaus, and economic development agencies haven't done is thought about hiring staff psychologists on a universal level. That's right, a shrink, a head doctor to address the human mind. The real problem that's facing all of our cities is us. We are the problem, not them, not the suburbs or city hall, not Amazon or Applebee's. We are the problem. I'm not a psychologist, um, but my sister is. 
Um, and I don't have a medical degree or even a Bachelor of Science in anything at all related to this. My degree is in hospitality administration, which means I know how to have a good time. Um, in fact, I probably skipped most of my psychology classes at Stephen F. Austin, Axon Jacks, Cleveland Jacks on there. But I know um, one thing's for certain. And after working in local government and community development on the ground for 15 years in small communities across the state of Texas, there is a lot of cray cray going on, right? Um, and we have to stop putting band-aids on. We have to actually talk about people more and not the places and the things. And I don't need a degree to tell me that. Um, we have to shift our mindsets. We have to embrace our fear um, of the unknown. We have to be uncomfortable being comfortable. Today, during this downtown happy hour, we must collectively agree to put people first. And that's uncomfortable to put others over ourselves. Um, and so we are the problem, the elephant in the room, our mindset, our, our thoughts of scarcity or abundance, um, our failure to face our fears, the complete lack of you know, compassion and empathy and understanding that we as a human race, um, and especially in this country, have decided it was okay. And so we have to embrace um, the fear and by using that, um, courage to face it. We can, you know, be equipped um, to do the uncomfortable part of finding our purpose and having a better understanding of both ourselves and others. Um, and so we, we have to um, choose daily, sometimes hourly, um, to do different for ourselves personally, um, to make sacrifices for ourselves before we'll ever um, be able to really change our communities and um, change the way our neighborhoods grow and develop. And I know, you know, we know we have problems at this local and state and national levels that we may not be a part of, but that doesn't matter because we have to start with that because we're the problem. And that's all I have for you guys today. And I'm there, Sigla. Hello. Hello. All right. You can. Let's see. I think I can take you off screen sharing even. I can do it. Yeah. I did it. All right. Fantastic and wonderful. Thank you for the great information. Um, what? You know, I'm a big believer in planning uh, and that planning background, but I think that. Uh, rarely does planning turn into any sort of execution and often seems to be more of a like, hey, look, we did something, um, but it really doesn't translate in, into progress. Right. It's always stuck on a shelf somewhere. Right. And, and I, you know, in the big, I, in the big sense of like people getting comprehensive plans, but even when it comes to strategic planning, uh, which I, again, a big believer in, but what kind of accountability tools do you like to use to make sure boards actually follow through with strategic plans? So it's because we need to be acting more often. And so I call it a roadmap um, and we do a short one to two year term and it needs to be discussed and chewed on and edited at every meeting. And each committee chair and board member needs to look at it every week because when you make it a plan and you put it up on a shelf, it's not in your daily life like it should be. Mm -hmm. And so for plans to really be effective, you have to live and breathe them, which means they're gonna change constantly. But we're so scared of the process and the formality of this um, document and how we create it, that it becomes so difficult to change. 
And so we have to do less formal planning and more um, informal planning and make, and that goes all back to connection and conversation and communication um, and make that a part of our daily lives and our organization's daily lives and our business daily lives. Cool. I uh, worked with a, a few Main Street executive directors that had done a nice job of using the agenda to enforce accountability. And it's like, all right, every, you know, when we get to this board meeting, no, we're going to go through whose membership is current. No, we're going to go through how many hours you contributed this month, how many dollars you brought in. And, you know, with that being the expectation, like, you know, joining that board, you, <laughs> there will be accountability and you better, you know, it's not for you if you're not interested. That's right. And the last city I worked with before Basha, they have done a tremendous job. So every agenda item on council is um, connected to the comp plan and it's a section number and the item number. And so I think that there's so many ways to make sure that, that plan is a living, breathing document. Mm -hmm. um, you can do it through your annual budget books, your annual reports, um, even using it on social media. It probably doesn't get quite the you know engagement or reactions that folks are looking for. Um, the planning process is so important. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why it sits on the shelf when we don't want to change it, like I said, is because it's not nimble enough and because it's not, it, it's very exclusive and not inclusive. And right. I think that's, and we can spend a whole few hours on that. And I know we won't is that this plan belongs to this table over here and it doesn't belong to anyone else. And that's, that's another right. part of the problem. And, and, you know, gosh, it is so much been my experience, like stop planning and start doing. And like, that's not just a catchy phrase. Like, yeah. honestly, the, everybody's waiting for this like silver bullet. And like, really, if you just pull weeds, if you just, I mean, I did it the other day. I, I'd been bothered by the paint in my front steps for three years. And finally it's like, this is stupid. This is stupid. I'll just paint it. And it's like, now every time I walk out, I'm like, oh my God, it's so nice. Why did I wait so long? Um, and even if it's not the perfect front porch, the fact that it's been improved by 20% or something, like that makes a difference to me. And the smallest changes really um, bring about more changes. It, it's this waiting for the big stuff is, is uh, really detrimental. We tell towns and major managers know that you have to do something small that has a, a physical you know, appearance to it. Um, and it, but that's going to get your big impact. And you know that you know, facade improvement or whatever, that's going to spur additional improvements or, you know, a lot of shame um, that goes on talking about shame in a positive way, right? Um, you know, by fixing up our doorstep and shaming others into doing the same, but you don't need a comprehensive plan or a downtown master plan to get those things done. You just have to be decisive. Um, you have and to in fact, doing those things often compel you not to do the small stuff, often waiting for the comprehensive plan or this big project keeps you from doing the small things that need to be done. Every single place I've ever worked in, every community I've worked with over the last 18 months, yeah, we're waiting on this, but we can't do that until this. And, and that's just an excuse for us not to um, move forward and get in the uncomfortable position that we're gonna be in. Let me bounce over here and see if any questions came in. Um, well, it's not real cut and dry. It's really just to start people thinking. And so I understand yeah. you know, that I operate in the messy all the time. <laughs> I think that's a, a par for the course in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer that like the revitalization is, isn't even as hard as the organizational side of things. Like there is a roadmap how to make your community uh, stronger. 
it gets real tricky when it's like, how do I get my board to do things? Absolutely. And we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to piss off the lady at the bank who doesn't actually participate um, in the board. And we don't want to um, seem like we're making our board members work too hard, but it's a responsibility. Um, and, and that's why I started out, this, this is going to be uncomfortable in this boardroom. And if you are in a comfortable place and want to stay there, you're not, I'm not your right, I'm not the right facilitator and you're not on the right board because chambers and main streets work hard and tourism organizations and economic development agencies. And so board members need to be more than, you know, just a figurehead. Right. If you're there to listen to reports, you're wasting everyone's time. We can read reports. Why are we still even reading reports at board meetings? It's like right. carbon paper for things. It's antiquated. Um, you know, and I think board meetings and volunteer meetings as a whole are antiquated. The next generations, they don't want to sit in a boardroom they want to be involved and engaged. And the reason we can't get volunteers to do anything is because we're still having volunteer meetings. Right, right. Yeah, I, I go back to that. Like a good board member wants to feel a sense of meaning. And if you don't give them that, if it's like the same conversation three months in a row, like that's, forget it, I'm out. Yep. Um, Jessa Timmer said would love, she'd love to see an example of what you're talking about, a living plan. So yep. if uh, that's something maybe you can post in the comments when you get a chance, if you have an example. Yep, I do. I will get that posted. Good. A friend, uh, Ryan in Dallas, uh, mentioned that uh, they were trying to buy a vacant building. Uh, sorry, Ryan Short. Uh, they were trying to buy a, a vacant building and the seller refused because they said the comp plan said townhomes were to go there. Uh, so, which is so land use codes and zoning and ordinances, the first thing you guys, that is all meant to be changed. And so just because it's written in codification, doesn't mean it's going to be there for forever because we can change those things. And so there's something that's not working. Um, people are using whatever that is in writing as a crutch to not move forward and make a decision to stay stuck where they are. Um, but you can change. And cities are notorious. We have an issue, we throw code at it. Right. And we don't think about what code, what results um, happen from throwing that code at all the 900 million other things. And so then we have to go and make 9 million other codes to fix all the things we broke with that one code instead of just removing the one code. And it's just really not that complicated on that. You can change all of that. Uh, well, excellent. You know what, I uh, hope we get about five minutes to the next session. So I'll give a chance of people oh. to go uh, pour themselves a, another drink or okay, run to the restroom right. or mingle in the hallway. Have a cocktail. Thank you guys so much for having me, Jeff. It was fun. Yeah, Sarah, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate the information. And uh, I am sure we will chat soon and see you at the happy hour. All right. <laughs>